I mean, I think quality is always going to win. I think it's just a matter of how interesting is it to humans. All right, to start off, um, just start with who you are and what you do. Um, I'm a YouTube strategist, and I got my start back about six years ago, editing for Preston. Uh, worked my way up to being director of strategy for him, which had about 45 uh, million subscribers and about 50 or so full-time employees. So um, the short version of what I do is I'm a professional YouTube nerd. I like to help creators build content engines and so help them make better content and then help them make it sustainable and hire teams and find the right people and train them up as well. Okay. So you said you started off working for Preston. Is that as in Preston Plays and like TBRF Rags, that YouTube channel? Yeah. Or, yeah. Okay. That is quite the quite the big YouTube channel. How did you get <laughs> yeah, how did you get started um, like working with him? Uh, it was actually just a random job lead. So um, had a friend of mine knew that I like to edit videos. I knew that I like video games, and it was just a random job post that he saw coming across, and so he sent it my way. Uh, Preston's name wasn't on it anywhere, um, but once I got through the interview process and realized who it was, and I'd actually heard of him before from playing. Uh, I was very into esports, and so I got. I saw him like play Minecraft and never like the optic guys who were playing Minecraft back in the day on Nate Shot's channel. And so um, I knew that just from the fact that I had heard of him like six years ago on YouTube, I think he had across both channels, I think we had like two and a half mil subs. So six years, that's still big by today's channel, by today's standards. And so even back then, it was so large as well. Um, Working with Preston, that was like a, must have been a big job. Was it like stressful to work with him? Because it's like, that's such a big channel. I mean, maybe it depends on like who you are, but like, I used to be such a big fan. He was always like such a celebrity when I was in like middle school. I've watched him for like a long time, but I mean, I don't so much anymore. But was it like stressful editing for him? Um, I mean, yeah, but I think that's the same with any big channel, though. That's not necessarily just exclusive to Preston. I think anyone doing YouTube at that level is just a fast paced environment. Um, like whenever I started, whenever it was just myself and Preston. And so um, whenever we were editing. I mean, he was posting twice on, I think it was twice on Minecraft, once on TV and our frags. And so, I mean, that was three videos a day, every single day, um, and constantly grinding and improving. And then we started scaling the team and, um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a stress that goes along with that, but that's just stress at the top levels of YouTube for all the guys out there that are building empires. Like it wouldn't be any different for Mr. Beast or any other of the gigantic creators that we know today. It's always stressful and it's always on, but, um, at the end of the day, you're building something really cool, so it's worth it. Right, right. Now, did you have prior experience with, like, professional editing, or were you doing, like, more freelance stuff? Yeah, I mean, I, my background's in film. I have a degree in film, and so I specialized in editing and post-production. had done some freelance work, mainly in, like, the corporate commercial space, which is where most people land after college. Um, and so I had some experience doing that, and then this came across. So, yeah, I mean, I had the background in editing, had about, I don't know, maybe a year or two of editing experience. But even that, I was still mixing in on jobs, like working at a movie theater as a as a waiter and um, working at after-school care and, like, running an after-school care program. So it's like I was all over the place still, as typical film students are. Um, never made it to Starbucks, but, you know, that may be, maybe someday in the future. <laughs> Let's hope not. <laughs> So, are you still working with him? No, I'm on my own. So, we parted ways back in November of last year. And so, um, now I'm on my own doing uh, consulting for whoever will have me. I always tell people 
I'll talk YouTube for free all day, every day. I'm just glad to live in a world where it doesn't have to be for free. So, um, yeah, I have my own consulting business. And so I work with some top, some of the top creators and channels and also just companies in the space and help them either understand YouTube or optimize their content. Okay. Yeah. What are some of like the main questions that you get asked? Is there like a few things that a lot of people ask you? Um, recently there's been a lot of questions around shorts. Um, and then other than that, usually it's looking at numbers and under trying to understand why, if I have these numbers, if I have these, if I have X numbers, why isn't Y and Z happening? Um, so let's say those are the two primary questions I get asked a lot of times. Yeah. You mentioned shorts. How has like the YouTube landscape changed? Cause obviously it was like more long form and now they've introduced the shorts. How has it changed over the course of like the time that you've been in it? Um, I think the bigger change isn't necessarily with shorts. It's more of like, for me, like the context of being back in 2016, it was daily up daily uploads, if not multiple daily uploads um, and trying to game the system that way and trying to be all about quantity and less about quality. And I feel like even now with shorts, there's still an aspect of shorts that feels much more quantity over quality, but I feel like overall the biggest shift on youtube has definitely been this emphasis on quality and viewer satisfaction um and so i think because they've done such a good job establishing that with long form i feel like it's going to make this short form transition a lot easier um and then everything else like the the attention spans are a lot shorter but i think that was coming without shorts anyway (laughs) i think that's just general society um I'm, i'm not sure shorts or tiktok or anything else is is helping it by any means but um it is one of those things where like the attention spans are shorter. If you're not into the video and giving the viewer what they clicked on immediately, like there's no room for overly extended intros or a bunch of context or everything else. It's just like, Hey, give the people what they need and get into the video. Um, so that's definitely like there's higher quality, but there's also less attention spans. So being able to capture people while maintaining quality content is definitely the biggest challenge right now. Yeah, definitely. Like you see Mr. Beast upload, like, once a month or something and it's like videos just do absolutely unreal views do you think that it's like i don't know because there's also like um oh, i'm totally blanking on his name ryan tran <laughs> he with the penny series uh, you're probably aware of that mm-hmm. this is kind of like that almost like daily yeah. vlogging upload style and it's like that also did very well do you think that'll start like coming back? Like, do you think it'll be kind of like a cycle? I think so. I think we're already starting to see it with Casey coming back too, um, and posting daily again. I think it's something where, as long as there's a quality story being told, I think the content will do well. I also think people are starting to get kind of tired of this preconceived, heavily packaged content. Like, no disrespect to Mr. Beast or any of the, the idea-based creators, I think there's still massive appeal for that. Um, but I'm starting to see like a, a few more people. It seems like they're, they're kind of trending more like these personality based creators like Casey or Emma Chamberlain or Ryan Trahan. Um, although some of, some of Ryan Trahan's content is definitely still falls in like the challenge vein. He just does it with more of a personality spin. Um, but definitely more so on the, the daily vlog, less produced, um, doesn't mean any less thought through. They're still being structured and, and doing it in an intelligent way. Um, but definitely more of a feel for like this less sensationalized content for sure. Yeah, definitely. Do you think it'll kind of like, I don't know, I guess ebb and flow, like come back and then kind of 
go away again or do you think it'll just kind of like get to a point where it's just kind of like a balance between the two because you've definitely like seen um how there has been that balance at some points but then it's also kind of like shifted far to either end yeah i think it i mean it just depends on what other new features youtube includes because half the time people were just go really far in one way because they find this one thing that works on YouTube and YouTube <laughs> puts in a check or a balance to, to help them kind of bring that back to center. Um, but I think the biggest thing really is just, um, you know, I definitely think, in my opinion, I think it's going to strike more of a balance. I don't think necessarily that the vlogging or personality creators just going to go away. There might just be more of a space for them now. Um, and then we'll just see because as with everything, the algorithm at the end of the day is just representative of the audience. So, people change over time so we'll just see how the audience reacts to it as well yeah yeah that makes sense now how do you think shorts are gonna like play into that balance because it's kind of a completely different different format than youtube videos that are like i don't know anywhere from like five to like 30 minutes like some people watch a vlog that's like super long but then the shorts are just a completely different format how do you think they should be like used um i guess to like grow an audience if any yeah for sure i think that i'm definitely i'm definitely bullish on shorts i think that there's going to be a place for them i think they are the future um as far as like right now are they fully there yet i'm not sure i think right now and even in the future I, because we don't have numbers on now that they're rolling out rev share for shorts and uh, next year like we don't until we have numbers on that we don't know how sustainable shorts only is going to be um but i still see them as a massive reach opportunity as long as you're capitalizing on them in a way that is still in line with your channel like i look at channels like i know airax one of the big examples of he finds goofy challenges that might not make a full video, but would make a really, really good bit and then makes those into a short. Um, it also helps kind of bridge the gap whenever you're taking two weeks to three weeks to a month even between uploads, like these higher higher end things. I think it's going to be a great tool for either bigger idea channels or also like for channels like in the engineering niche, like Mark Rober and those type of people where they can have almost smaller bits and more touch points along the way if that's something they want to do. Um, and then we'll see on the monetization side, but right now I just see them as supplementary, um, discovery tool right now. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's a good way to like get your content out to more people, especially if you're like new, because people are so much more willing to watch a video that's like, I don't know, 30 seconds to a minute rather than right. like, yeah, like 25 or something like that. Mm-hmm. yeah people are definitely much more oh sorry go ahead no you go no, i was gonna say people are much more forgiving on that i think it's just a matter of again making sure it's in line with your long form and make sure they're converting i think that's the big question mark right now that a lot of creators are having are just like my shorts are getting millions of views but does that translate to the long form content that i have going to um and so like i know that that highway is still under construction so to speak and so um, I'm excited to see where that goes, but that's just, I know that's one of the big question marks a lot of larger creators have right now, which is how does this impact overall channel performance in the long term? And we don't have that data because it hasn't been a long time. So <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, right. So you mentioned how it's like the new the new revenue share um, that they like just implemented. Did you, I'm sure you've heard about Colin and Smear having like a part in that. How do you think... I mean, that's, like, a kind of new thing, I think, that, like, creators kind of almost taking a role in, like, 
those kinds of things. I'm not sure exactly how much of a part that they played, but do you think you'll start seeing more of that, like YouTube working with like creators on those decisions to like get a better experience? Yeah, definitely. I think that's something, I mean, YouTube to their credit has always done a good job with that and might not have always been as public, but I mean, there were times where I was able to go to the YouTube HQ and sit down with people on their, their gaming team or the analytics team and ask for features and, you know, obviously they're a giant billion dollar corporation, so things are going to move slowly, but they've always been very open to receiving that feedback and taking it seriously, especially from creators at the top who do this all the time. Um, where it's like, you know, we really want A-B testing. It's like, we know that they are also working on native A-B testing for thumbnails and titles on the platform. So when that gets released, who knows? We'll see. But we know that they take it seriously and they want, at the end of the day, they understand that the biggest creators want to make this a sustainable business and then the the objectives are aligned in that YouTube wants to stay a business too but at the end of the day like the way the mechanism by which both creators and YouTube have sustainable businesses is by satisfying an audience and so that's when you know when those objectives are aligned it's very easy like give them feedback and say hey we really want to do this here's XYZ why it doesn't work or it would work a lot better if ABC and then they're able to take those and um, and build it out in the best way and they have billions and billions of data points they can test them against to make sure that they're successful once they do actually launch yeah yeah so youtube is like such a big corporation it's been like around a long time how long do you think it will be around and like where do you see it going in the future it's mm. a great question um if i was a ceo of youtube if i was susan um, that's a good question. I don't see YouTube going away anytime soon. I, it's such a it's such a big player. I definitely see it moving more into you know the video space and everything else. Like I don't see it going away anytime soon. There, it's pre-installed on every single Android device, and that's how much how big of a percent of the entire cell phone market. Like it's, it's not going away that I see in the foreseeable future. Um, and I think that so many creators still coming to the platform and creators like at the top, like Mr. Beast who are just doubling down on the platform. I think if there was any red flags or indicators that YouTube wasn't going to make it, then we would see them start leaving and diversifying heavier off platform. And we really don't see that outside of, you know, some people might build community platforms and different things to help for additional monetization, but YouTube's also building those features. Um, as far as where it goes, I just see it providing more and more opportunities to monetize. Um, I definitely see more of the, like what we're seeing in, in China, that's been mentioned quite a bit of just the live stream shopping in that industry, um, doing you know, billions and billions of dollars every single year, like hundreds of billions, and having creators be influencers for those brands and being able to buy directly from videos. Like We see that a bit with the merch shelf and a few other things, but I, see, I think there's going to be more doubling down in the Western markets on that kind of stuff. Um, and then just continuing to you know, integrate all of the best other challenging social challenger social programs that come in like TikTok and being able to say, oh, people really like this. Okay, let's throw a billion dollars at this and get it on our platform too and do it better. Um, or do it in a, maybe not better, but in a, in a slightly different way in a way that's more aligned with YouTube and Google's end goal. Um, and so I think that they're not going away anytime soon. I think it's just about how do they continue to capture more of the creator ecosystem and, and have it be a one-stop shop. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I haven't heard a lot about the, like shopping. I didn't really know that that was a thing in like West or Eastern, mm-hmm. um, like I guess media is, but that makes a lot of sense. Like 
Instagram, you see that all the time. You get the you get ads for like random products, and then you can sell directly on it. I mm-hmm. think I totally agree with that. That would be such a good way for creators to like. I don't know. You could reference like merch or a product in a video, and then just have it right there. I think that would definitely help. Is that yeah, a thing sure. right now? Um, like on YouTube. On like on YouTube. I mean, they definitely have the they have a merch shelf so we can like whenever whenever i've used it before it's like you can feature i think it was like 10 or 12 products at the time i don't know what it is now um but being able to change those either per video or just like have the channel wide merch shelf and just have certain items that you're featuring so they can always just be a face just a row right below um the youtube video for people to click and find your merch so if you're if you know you're going to be wearing certain things or if you have a very limited selection as well like it works in both cases so okay, cool, like, we can slide this here, people get visuals if they want to buy it, great, if they don't, whatever, we have this spot here, and I think there's just going to be more and more integration of that, so it's a much more streamlined process, and it'll just have to be, it'll have to be slower over time, because it's something that the Western world isn't super used to, I think we're still very advertising-averse to an extent, um, compared to, compared to, like, places like China, where it's just everywhere, and it's kind of just very integrated with all of their content, um, so that might be a direction that we move in, but I can't tell the future, but I think that's one one way that it could one way that it could go. You know, for lack of better words. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Merch is a really interesting thing with creators because it's it's changed quite a bit over time. I feel like people are starting to put a lot more thought into their merch and almost making their merch into its company, like by itself, like a standalone company, like Mr. Beast. He's, I mean. He's obviously a different example, but he's started, like, I heard he hired, like, other CEOs for his, like, uh, I forget what it's called, but his, like, chocolate bar brand is, like, uh, mm-hmm. Feastables, that's what it is. Yeah. He, like, hired people, which is so much different than what it used to be. People would just kind of put their designs on, that like, a, a t-shirt and then just, like, bulk order that or just do it, like, drop shipping. Um mm-hmm. But I think that's really interesting how it's changing. And I don't know. I think it'll keep getting better. Like Mark Rober's got his relatively new um, products, which are really cool. Do you think it'll like keep evolving like that? And then like, I don't know. Where do you think it'll go after, I guess, it's kind of changed a bit? I mean, I think creators overall, I think that the top level creators are just entrepreneurs at this point. There's not really a difference between them and an entrepreneur in the typical sense. And so I think we'll just see either more entrepreneurial minded creators come in and blow up their content and like have the marketing funnel built in just so they can launch businesses. Um, or like the same way, like have existing entrepreneurs come in and start building their own, um, their own smaller content funnels, but have them be much more targeted. I think it go both directions, but I think that we'll definitely see a lot more of the bigger creators launch full scale, actual businesses that they themselves might be the face of and they might be the marketing behind it and mention it from time to time, but they aren't the ones actively running the business outside of, you know, key decisions to make sure it's in line with their vision. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be much more of, Hey, we're going to launch businesses that are sustainable so that I don't have to hit record and say, what's up YouTube for another 35 years. Like let's, let's find a way to make this sustainable and make money and leverage what I have off platform. Um, so I think there's always be a need for the marketing channel to an extent. Um, 
like YouTube will always be there as that. But I think the next step after that for the top creators is building businesses outside of the platform um, and diversifying the revenue streams even further to make it sustainable for them if and when they decide to to retire from the platform. Yeah. Do you think we'll start seeing more people kind of, like you were saying, go off platform and retire? And then, like, what do you think that'll look like in terms of, I guess, like, Mr. Beast retiring? Like, I don't know. <laughs> it's a weird concept. Yeah, it's a very strange one. I mean, I know, I mean, in podcasts that he said, you know, he still has five or ten years probably. Like, he, he's still very much focused on what he's doing. And if he's all done, think about what he's done in just the past year alone. Like, if he still has five to ten more of those, like, I don't know where he's going to be in ten years. Um, but I think once he retires, I think it's going to be, you know, very much, I don't think the platform's going to change that much in terms of there's still going to be some new person that comes along and blows up and we'll probably see even more people come along. It might be something even faster and bigger than Mr. Beast. Who knows? Um, but I think there's always going to be the next round of creators and the next round of people who are inspired by the people who are doing it now, just the same way the people who are doing it now were inspired by the OGs of YouTube before there was a, before there was even AdSense. Um, I think it's just kind of like the generations of YouTube and, you know, we'll see where it goes and it'll be a sad day when Mr. Beast retires, but odds are we'll, we'll probably own 50 of his products and he'll be in every single one of our lives somehow because he's just that good of a businessman. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens. Right. Yeah. I think it's kind of interesting. I think YouTube is like almost becoming like the mainstream celebrity landscape. Cause it's like, I think most people of like, my generation and below are like way more plugged into youtube than they are traditional celebrity culture mm-hmm. because I, I don't know why like exactly it is like that but it definitely is do you know why like it, it's kind of changing like that um i think it's just because the younger generations are aging up and they haven't really watched the traditional media um, like they were raised on YouTube and everything else. And so like, like for me, like I'm, I feel like my generation is definitely like split down the middle of like, I've watched traditional sports and, and all of that stuff growing up. But at the same time, I was heavily into esports and watching that stuff and have been, you know, engrossed in the content side of things. Um, so I think it's just a matter of like the people who are decision makers and starting to, starting to have their own wallets instead of having to go through their parents or people who went through um, through the content ecosystem and their digital first. And so I think we're just seeing that kind of come to light. And then obviously it's going to make its way up as the decision makers who are still, you know, working in that they're 60 and 70 right now are seeing these trends and like, okay, cool. We have to start pivoting over here. So now it's the whole market's kind of starting to turn, um, and put its eye on digital creators first. And so I think that could be a potential cause of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. I'm glad to start seeing <laughs> creators get the recognition they deserve because I can, I can speak firsthand of, you know, walking through some event and being harassed for photos nonstop. Like that's something I had to go through all the time. And, um, it's one of those things like you don't, I think people are still, I think digital creators are still underrated somehow. Um, you know, various stories of, you know, people that have predicted like we wanted to do a meetup one time. They're like, okay, if we could have like, you know, 150, 200 people show up for this, like, that'd be great. And we're like, no, 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 like plan for thousands. And they're like, what do you, what do you mean plan for thousands? Like just, plan for thousands please like it's not you know so i think there's still there's still some of that around but um yeah dude I, i'm excited for the future they're still underrated there's still so much growth to be had yeah i totally agree it will be really cool watching and just kind of observing the landscape as it keeps keeps growing and evolving because mm-hmm. i think it's still like 
it's still pretty new. Like in terms of everything, it's like almost like just starting, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And we see stuff like, I know that I think this is a PGA tour just announced recently that they're going to have stuff from, um, there's a barstool golf dude. Perfect. And a hundred thieves are all starting to get involved in PGA somehow. Um, obviously they had the big comp- competition shakeup with what is it? LIV golf stepping into the ring and, and buying up a lot of the big people. But, you know, we're seeing them turn to digital creators in order to, um, you know, bolster themselves and they see the real value in it. Yeah. It, it is cool seeing that, how like the, like you were saying, like the traditional like sports and stuff are, they kind of have to look to the digital, digital media landscape yeah. and YouTube yeah. and TikTok and everything to like stay afloat because no one really watches TV anymore. <laughs> Accurate. Yeah. It's kind of funny, but yeah, no, it's super, super interesting. Just kind of watching it and observing how it, how it's going to change. So I want to get back to shorts a little bit. How, like what goes into making like a successful short and like how much of that is the algorithm versus like making a good quality short? Um, I would say we you, like the algorithm versus creating a quality short, I would argue are the same thing. Um, just because like, for me, like I just replaced the word algorithm with audience. Um, yeah. it might be slightly overtuned because they're trying to like get test results and everything else. But at the same time, like it, to me, it's the same thing. I think quality is always going to win. I think it's just a matter of how interesting is it to humans. And like, I think right now we're still trying to figure out what the, I guess what the ceiling is for shorts. Um, cause there are creators like, if you're doing a big entertainment broad stuff like Mr. Beast and Iraq and Ryan Trahan, like, yeah, the market's really big for that. But what about discoverability on people who are just trying to run businesses on YouTube, not necessarily be top level creators? Like, what is the, what is the cap for that? Cause you can kind of look through different channels and see that, oh, hey, like these channels typically, like the top channels in this niche get around this viewership and these get this. And I think people have this unrealistic expectation that every short should hit 100 million views. Um, that's not the case. Um, so I think as long as you're making quality stuff, and then I, as far as what goes into it, I mean, just, it's definitely like, for the most part, faster pace. I think it just depends on, again, depends on you as a content creator. Like if, like if Emma Chamberlain were to make a short, I don't think it would be hyper cut over the top. I think it would just be her going about her day. And it might be slightly, slightly more optimized in the terms of like, maybe having some subtitles for people who are watching on mute or, you know, different things like that. But I think as long as you're starting off with a strong, a strong way to hook the viewer and then the value property of them to click, I think most people are going to be pretty easy, pretty, pretty easily convinced to, to watch it and stick around. And then, um, you know, I think at the, the numbers side of it is still relatively unknown in terms of what retention percentage unlocks views or, you know, at different thresholds, like what are those? And I don't know that, those best practices have been established here because so many people are still just experimenting and it seems all over the place right now. Yeah, definitely. It is like kind of really early to tell that kind of stuff since it's kind of just kind of blown up in the past year or so. So like you mentioned um, like the parts of like a short. Now, can you just like talk a little bit more and elaborate on just the different parts of a short that make a short good? And like retain, yeah, I think, retention yeah i mean i think the i think it's the same stuff that goes into um goes into making a long form good i think it's the packaging obviously like thumbnails are less of a thing on shorts um 
but I think it's much, much heavier on the title. And so making sure that it's, you know, for people who are scrolling through YouTube proper and not an actual shorts experience, like having a good title or something to actually hook them and make them want to watch it. Um, and then on the biggest thing is just starting out strong in the first three seconds. Like I think you have probably two to three seconds to really get your point across of what the video is and get people hooked in to watch it and just get into the storyline. I think it's just storytelling. Um, I call it like storytelling express. It's just like, okay, take the stories and like squish it down to 60 seconds. And then, um, you know, get that, get that through the viewer and do it in a way that's fun and engaging. And I think it's, you know, so once you have the title and they're actually in the video, you have a couple of seconds to hook them. And then it's just about progressing through the story. I don't think there's, there's no time to dwell. Like there's minimal time to dwell on long form videos, even before you start losing audience. I think for shorts, it's even less, if not nothing. So it's just like, just progress through the story. It doesn't mean it has to be 18 cuts a second or anything like that, but, um, just keep, keep, keep the progression, keep the viewer momentum moving through the video. And, um, I think that's the biggest thing for retention is just telling a telling a good story and having it move through. Yeah. So you can just kind of like keep the same philosophy with long form content, right? You just kind of have to tell that story in a way that's engaging to the viewer. Now, how, <laughs> I feel like this is a very obvious question, but sometimes it needs to be said. How sure. important is like the story of a video versus like production quality? I don't know if that's like really the right term, but like how well it's shot and everything. Um, yeah, I mean, so I think story is everything. I think you could, if there's a, if you have a really good and engaging story that people are bought into, you could film it on a potato and it wouldn't matter. Um, like if you have to shoot something in 4k to get people to watch it, then you're probably not telling good enough. You don't have a good enough piece of content. If you're like, I don't think production quality is ever going to trump stories or audience interests. Like I think people, people, if the, if the person is interested, they're going to watch it. It doesn't matter what it's shot on the amount of, um, I think of like a classic example from my childhood, like a, like world star, <laughs> like looking at, uh, we'll start hip hop and like the fight scene and like everything else. It's like, those things were filmed on like Nokia bricks and they're about two pixels. You kind of see like going at each other and that's about it, but it was interesting. Um, and I think the same, the same thing applies to, to YouTube where it's like, it doesn't matter what it looks like. Obviously like the higher production quality is better. It's good if you can do that. Great. But I think starting focusing on mastering your craft first and then getting the tools to enhance it later. I think that's the better route to go. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think that's pretty universal across a lot of mediums like podcasting and yeah podcasting youtube TikTok, Instagram, all of it yeah honestly. for sure so for like newer creators is that the best way to like build your community and grow an audience just having like a good good storyline in your videos yeah i think so i think it's about having not necessarily having a storyline but just being someone that your audience can connect to um, and I think they do that through, through the story and seeing either you go through things or you teach them things, whatever your niche is, obviously like when we're heavily focused on the entertainment niche right now, but for everything else, it's just about like providing value to them and giving them a chance to connect to you. I think that's the reason why, I think that's another reason why people are kind of coming back to the, those daily vlog format where they feel a lot more connection because it's been a, it was like, it's been like a mad dash with, with TikTok and shorts and everything else of just these swipeable creators. Um, but you don't really have a chance to connect to them and they're not building 
they might be building an audience, but they're definitely not building a community. Uh, and so I think that's the a big distinction. And I think that's something that creators can focus focus on starting out, which is like, how do I connect with all these people that are watching my content and supporting me and giving me their attention for any period of time? Like, how can I deepen that connection with them? Um, and then moving from that, like then from there, like I think that like, as you're starting out, I think you should be focused on one, just posting content. Don't focus on making the perfect piece of content every single time. Just post a hundred garbage videos and then learn from each one. And then you'll be amazed at where you are by the end of that exercise. Um, and then beyond that, like once you're starting to find the different improvements, finding out who your core audience is and having a way to connect with them and building that up and making sure you're providing value to them in your videos. And, you know, I think that's, that's just the, the way to start that's building a solid foundation so that no matter where you pivot later on, you have that core audience with you. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, earlier you talked about like finding a niche and just being in that. I've seen some questions um, from YouTubers that are like kind of medium sized, small, small, medium. I mean, that number kind of changes. But they're like trying to change niche almost. It's like they want to post content that isn't necessarily what is working for them, but they mm-hmm. want to like post it because they want to post it because they like to make it. Right. Do you think it's like viable for like a YouTuber of say like, I don't know, 20 to like a hundred something thousand. I don't know. The range doesn't, isn't super relevant, but like, do you think it's viable to change directions and maintain an audience? Or do you think, um, that's kind of on a case by case basis, whether it's like a community versus content based. Yeah, I think it's. I don't think. I mean, case by case, always. But I think the the biggest thing I would ask is like, how much of a pivot is it? Because they're like they're playing Roblox and they want to do like golfing vlogs. Like, it might not be sustainable. I think at the range you mentioned, if it's sub one hundred thousand, like honestly, they could probably pivot. That's still really early on the channel's lifespan, in my opinion. So like, I think there's a way to pivot that and, and, and but i don't think you're going to maintain the same audience unless it's that's just what they're interested in as well and it's about building a new audience on top of that and for creators that are later in their lifespan i think there are times that it can be done like for i mean for Preston's an example like we had a channel with nine million subscribers that was built on minecraft and we pivoted it to real life um but that was also we were doing it's still the same Preston. It's still high energy challenges, like it still fit really well. And we we also launched a Minecraft channel secondary to that, so that we had a place for people to go. Um so I think it's one of those things of decide what's most important to you. And then if it's a huge, huge switch and you're a little bit later, maybe consider starting a fresh channel. Um or if you're wanting to post it on the main channel for whatever reason, making sure that you have a place for your audience to go if you want to do the other content. Um I think those are just some questions to consider, at least for how to do it in a way that you're, you either maintain the audience or give yourself the best shot at building that new audience successfully. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, I'm just just curious for me. Um, how <laughs> getting started, like you started editing with Preston. <laughs> how early on did you start? What do you mean, how early on? Like in his in his channel. Um, so I started, um, I was there, I was his first employee. And so I was there, but by the time I was there, we had two and a half million subscribers. Um, so he was already, already a well-established creator, but like back then, like that was the size that creators were when they were first hiring teams. So, 
Um, definitely like got early in with him, uh, relatively speaking. Um, so yeah, does that answer your question? I don't know if yeah, it answers. Yeah. Okay, yeah, okay. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> did he hire you as like uh, strictly an editor or did you kind of have a bunch of, uh, I don't know, Swiss army knife type? <laughs> um, I was definitely, like, I was just an editor, really. Um, I mean, I might have helped, helped him out with a, with a couple of things, but for the most part, I was, I was just editing content. Um, and then as the team grew, that's kind of when my responsibilities started expanding. Um, those, I got married, I had a kid and I was like, all right, I need more responsibilities. Like how do I do this in a way that provides more value? Um, so that's when I started, you know, cutting my teeth on titles and thumbnails and learning about content strategy and diving into analytics. And, you know, over time, that's just kind of how it naturally evolved. Um, but yeah, I started out purely editing and focused on that. And then once I kind of learned the ropes of editing, what good YouTube content was and kind of started building my way up and more into the strategy side of things but there also were drastically fewer resources seven years ago than there are now so it's a lot yeah, easier to learn right. strategy and dive into that at first as opposed to starting out in some other position i still think there's value in i mean over the course of my time there because i was the first employee we were hiring people for different things like whenever we pivoted to real life i think it was me and two or three other people at that point um I mean, we all sat in every single seat. We've all done everything. Um, so there is some element of that still. It's very much like a startup in, a startup in that way. Um, but yeah, I think over time, you just kind of build it up. I think there's still value in sitting in every seat you know, so you can understand at the strategic level what each person needs to do, but like what are also the realities that they're facing in each of those positions um, and make sure that you can make the, the best decisions possible in terms of how to how to best optimize the team and like what they're going through um, and then be able to to understand that at the, at the highest levels of YouTube is, is usually valuable. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's kind of interesting, like the whole career of creators, because it's it's so much different than any traditional career. As you're, <laughs> there's not exactly a a strict path or a, a clear way to get there. You just kind of have to like right. start doing it, which is it's really interesting. I wonder if we'll start to see some more. Um, I mean, I guess we are, there's some like creator classes and there's obviously like Skillshare stuff mm -hmm. and that kind of thing, like creator startups. But I wonder if we'll start to see more of that in like traditional colleges and universities. Yeah, I, mean, I think we'll do it eventually. Um, I think right now, no one who is high level working in this space wants to stop to go teach at a university. Um, so it's one, I definitely think you'll see it over time and like, the universities are, I'm sure the universities are already taking note of, especially like the film departments where they're like, all of our people are leaving and becoming YouTubers. How do we, how do we make this a sustainable thing? Um, so I definitely think you'll see colleges probably within the next few years start putting out some sort of YouTube or content creation, um, either a degree or maybe a minor or maybe just a few courses. Um, maybe there's some like small focus on it. I don't, I'm not sure what it'll be. I'm not that familiar with the higher education space, but, um, I definitely, I know from speaking to my own professors from, from Baylor and everything else, like they're, they're aware of it. They're just trying to figure out how do we do this in a way that makes sense for, for the college and make it like, is this going to be a career 30 years from now? Like, do we need to build this department right now or not? Um, I think they're still catching up to catching up to speed on what all this is going to be and like the new paradigm shift that's happening. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's also, it's kind of, I feel like, more challenging for people of that level because it's, I don't know, generally, they're not as plugged into it as um, younger generations. But, right. I don't know. Right. 
it's a really interesting space. For sure. All right. So we're getting to the end of the episode. There's something that I ask every guest. You can, honestly, sometimes it catches them off guard. But what is one thing that's under $50 that you'd recommend that everyone buy? That's just like, it could be anything. It's just like, improve your life a little bit. Under $50. Like, improve yeah. their life or improve their content or like, what's it could be the. Anything. Literally anything under $50? Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> dude, let me so, think. Let me think. Yeah. My newsletter for one is free. <laughs> um, no. The. I would say, like, for like one free thing that helps me out a ton is. Um, like Jack Butcher, who does visualize value, he has a, I believe it's free or it might be a dollar now. Um, he wanted to make it like as low as possible so that people would just buy it, but he found like people who did it for free to never complete it or use it enough. Um, it might be a different course, but like the free thing, he offers a free, um, it's a daily planner and I can't for the life of me remember what it's called. I'll drop you the link. Um, but it's like a free, it's a daily manifest is what it's called. Um, and so it's basically just a, a template you can either print it out or there's a digital version and it gives you your goals for, um, you know, today, the next week, the next month, whatever. And you write that down each time. Um, and then also has like a, a daily calendar where you're writing in all the stuff that you're doing. Um, and so as far as like, for me, like the biggest thing, the biggest unlock for me for productivity and for, um, uh, getting myself organized is having that list and being able to think through the stuff daily and just having a resource that as opposed to just being like a, a task management software or um, any other thing like that, having this already pre-formatted thing that forces you to think through um, each step of your day and what you're wanting to do. Like I don't use it as much anymore, but I still take all the things I did with that and use that in whatever task management software you want to use. So I think like getting your life organized and literally writing down what goals you want to achieve and like how you want to achieve them along with all the tasks you have to get done each day and when you're going to do them. Um, goes a long way it's definitely i think more people <clears throat> similar to to youtube production where it's always tell people you need to spend way more time before you ever hit record and i think it's the same thing for um just general productivity spend way more time planning um like spend it might be 10 to 15 to 20 minutes of writing down all the stuff you're going to do that day and it might not feel productive um but at the same time like it sets the foundation for what you're going to do um, kind of gets you in that mindset. At least it does for me. So I would encourage people to check out the Daily Manifest. And then um, I was trying to think of something else that was like on Amazon or something. I don't know. Like a, I don't know, a halfway decent mic. I think that could go a long way. I think more people should pay attention to their audio. But uh, yeah. yeah, dude, I'm all over the place. That's a good question. <laughs> it's so broad. I definitely need to send that to people before uh, I kind of start doing that. <laughs> okay. So wait, I actually want to wanna ask you about the... Uh, like i guess content management idea idea management you said that you should spend way more time before hitting record than you should actually recording why is that it's like so much more valuable because i think you're going to save yourself so much time and you're going to i think that all the stuff that happens before you record is really what determines the success of a video um as i think of it as um as a cup that's being filled up is one thing that uh, me and a friend of mine have talked about before where there's um, each piece of content is a cup and the success can be up to 100% full. And I think each step adds a certain percentage. And I think too many people 
put too much weight on the post-production side of things where they think an editor or the thumbnail we make or anything else will save this piece of content. It's just not true. Um, they might be able to add more and they might be able to make it push it to where it's overflowing and, and an incredible video, but they're not going to be able to save a bad idea. Um, so I think people just need to spend more time on pre-production really picking the right ideas because the right ideas are the basis of every other aspect of the content creation process. Like your titles and thumbnails are rooted in the idea. Um, what you're filming is going to be rooted in the idea. How the edit comes together is going to be based on the title thumbnail, which is based on the idea. Like it's all interconnected back to that. And I think playing that out will spending more time there will save you so much more time and save you so many headaches later on. Um, and like building that foundation first is going to be the best way to go as opposed to flying by the seat of your pants and attempting to save it later on. Um, that's just a really great way to lead to burnout over time. So <laughs> plan, it, plan it out a little bit more, spend a little bit more time there. Um, and, and, you know, reap the rewards from that. Yeah. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. That's definitely something that I think about a lot as, especially in podcasting, you have to do that. It's like, it almost forces you to, um, between questions, research, um, and then just developing the ideas and you also have to just like teach yourself some things so you have knowledge to talk about but with youtube you can kind of just do it like i don't know it's almost easier just to start when you really should think about it more which is really really a good thing to keep in mind when you're producing content for sure. Okay, so that's about the end of the episode. Do you want to uh, talk about any any projects you're working on? Any socials you want to plug? Uh, sure, man. So if, if anyone wants to chat further, I'm happy to talk YouTube anytime. Um, hit me up on Twitter. Uh, it's at Trent here. Um, and then I have a newsletter that I write just helping create. I'm trying to give creators sheet codes to build uh, content engines. So those are delivered. Uh, right now, whenever I can get to it, but hopefully I'm scaling that soon to be weekly or bi-weekly. Um, that's at creatorcampfire.co. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on the episode. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, man. It was a blast. Thanks again to Trent for being on the episode. I thought it was a super valuable conversation. It was really fun to talk to him. He's uh, been in the YouTube game for a long time, working with Preston and everything, and growing that YouTube channel to such a big size. He's obviously super knowledgeable about YouTube. So it was really fun to talk to him. I thought you had some good insights, and I hope you got some good value out of the conversation. So if you want to check him out, you can check him out on all his social medias and his creator consulting. If you want to check me out, I'm at OND Cooper on all platforms pretty much. Um, you can hit me up there. Feel free to contact me, send me a DM. If you want to be on the podcast, do that there, or send me an email or leave it in a review. Also, please remember to subscribe so I can know if you like the podcast and leave a review to know what to do better and so I can keep doing the podcast. Thanks for listening.